Welcome to the FOI Equip podcast, your free resource for learning and engaging with the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Katolka. You know, the scriptures tell the story of God's chosen people and his plan to bring salvation to the whole world through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Come see why it matters that God would choose an ancient people to bring a timeless hope to a lost and broken world. Now, listen, I want to encourage you to go to foiequip.org to sign up to be on our mailing list. You're going to receive vital information on how you can join our free live online FOI Equip classes. Now get ready. Join our expert staff on the FOI Equip podcast as we teach the scriptures, unravel the colorful world of Jewish culture and customs, reveal God's prophetic plan, and so much more. Now enjoy this teaching from FOI Equip. Greetings, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yes. All right, good, good. Yes, All right, yes. well, let's uh, get going here. Okay, this is the study of the Sabbath day, and this is part two. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I was going to cover some different topics, but let's review a little bit uh, for those who perhaps maybe were not here last week and for those who were, and perhaps just to kind of review a little bit of some of the things that we had uh, discussed, okay? Okay, first mm-hmm. of all, uh, what we looked at last week was that in keeping the Sabbath was the fourth commandment that God gave to the nation of Israel to observe. Uh, and this mandate was given in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, and is as well as in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 through 15. Uh, also, for modern-day Judaism today, for those who are observing and following the uh, rabbinism, the observance of the Sabbath is a main feature in their religious practice. I mean, their entire belief system revolves around the Sabbath. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and share some more of it uh, this evening. Also, uh, hang on. Yeah. All right, let me go. Number three. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus declared that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, this is recorded in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, Mark chapter 2, verse 28. And that it and that it was made for the benefit of man's good, okay? Mark chapter 2, verses 2 through 27. And then there was a uh, another thing that we need to consider here a little bit. Uh, that uh, we're going to look at the uh, fact that you know, as I mentioned, the Sabbath being so uh, important to modern day practices uh, from the Jewish perspective in their rabbinical writings, the Talmud in particular, uh, they had mentioned and stated this statement here. He will not arrive. In other words, in reference to the Messiah, he, the Messiah, will not arrive on the Sabbath since that would require people to violate the Sabbath in welcoming him. Okay. Now, we mentioned this last week, but, you know, you can see the extent of their, uh, you know, the, the Sabbath keeping that uh, even the Messiah, you know, if he came on the Sabbath, oy vey, you know, that would pose a problem here. And also, there's a, another interesting uh, statement here that I did not mention last week. Uh, they said that the prophet Eliyahu, Elijah, who is supposed to usher in the Messianic age, okay, they say that he will arrive no later in the week than Thursday, leaving room for the Messiah to arrive by Friday, of course, before sundown. Eliyahu, Elijah, will announce the arrival of the Messiah from Mount Carmel in the land of Israel. 
So there, they even mentioned that uh, even the Messiah is uh, not going to violate the Sabbath. And therefore, this is what they had uh, written and what they are teaching their people. So uh, that gives you an idea a little bit to the extent of how important the Sabbath is, uh, you know, to the uh, practitioners of rabbinism. All right. Now, let's move on here. And let's consider, as I move my slide here, let's see why it's not working. Uh, I should be moving here. Let's see. Okay, hang on. Boy, I tell you, Moses didn't have this problem when he was <laughs> talking about the word, you know. It's for some reason something got touched. Get to talk at it. Because people are coming in, you have to admit that. Oh, uh, Nathan, are there folks still coming in that perhaps maybe this is? Uh... Well, I'm, I'm admitting them. Oh, okay. Hang on. Hang on. Yes. Peter, there are people still coming in. Um, okay, okay. Well, hey, Jess. We're the meeting host, so uh, I can't let anybody in, and I can't help you with your screen share. Try um, stop screen share. Okay, hang on. Hang on. Let's just reload it. Okay, I'm going to reload it. Hold on. Just to make sure that uh, everything is fine here. Yes. Okay, hit it here. This one? Yep. Okay. Maybe it takes a little longer. Okay. Oh, I, I saw something come up here. Maybe you... Oh, boy. <laughs> all right. Well, well, that was it. Did that here. Okay. All those clicks. All right. All right. Well, hey, I don't know. Something is... Uh, we got all these little mouses on my table here. All right. Well, this is where I wanted to go here. All right. Now, did Jesus violate the Sabbath? Okay. Did he violate the Sabbath? Okay. First of all, Jesus did not break the Sabbath. He did not violate the Sabbath. But throughout his ministry, I think you are aware of this as you've read the Gospels, he was in constant conflict with the Pharisaic interpretation of the law and their traditions. But as a whole, in terms of the word of God, what has been written, what was received as recorded in the Old Testament, primarily, uh, specifically the Torah, Jesus did not break uh, or violate the, the, uh, the Sabbath laws. Second, Jesus applied the spirit of the biblical law. This was one of the area of contention. They were so locked in that when Jesus was uh, uh, sharing and preaching, like in the Sermon on the Mount, he was basically presenting the spirit of the biblical law. Uh, and uh, I kind of deal with this quite extensively in my uh, scholar series that is uh, recorded. It's on uh, uh, YouTube. Uh, and uh, I think you could go to Poppy later. We could give you the, uh, the site. And there I kind of do a whole exposition on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But there the argument was, of course, uh, they were kind of, hard bent in following the, the 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 letter of the law so strictly and whereas jesus was kind of uh sharing the spirit of the law um 
And so, you know, that was the issue of that time there. Okay. And then let us consider now, as we look in the word of God, the seven Sabbath miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day, okay, at the time. Uh, and so that way we can appreciate and see exactly what was the problem here. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we had covered uh, last uh, week, we said that the Pharisees had created a, uh, a, a fence, so to speak, a rabbinical fence around the biblical law. And the reason for that is because they uh, had a, a fear that the people would violate the word of God. And then they recognized that when that occurred in their past history, that God judged not the individual, but the entire nation. And they remember how God had sent the Babylonians to take them into captivity for 70 years because of their disobedience. And so they created the law, or I mean the wall around the law. And the wall is their traditions, the things that they had uh, composed in order to prevent people from violating the law, uh, uh, God's law. And as a result, uh, these laws then eventually became or was viewed as uh, that you know, this is what God had ordered. And these laws are referred to as, in the Hebrew, Mishnah, which means the oral laws. And in reference to the Sabbath, they created 39 categories uh, of prohibitions that one was not to do on the Sabbath. And then uh, later, as time went on, they uh, they created a set of 39 subcategories to the 39 categories so that my goodness if you could imagine it's 39 plus 39 and you basically have over a thousand prohibitions that one was not to do on the sabbath so try to imagine the bondage that uh, that all you know created a little bit there so let's look at the first a miracle that uh, or work that Jesus did on the Sabbath. And, uh, and for some of them, I want you to see how uh, the charge of violation that they brought against Jesus for what he was doing on the Sabbath. First of all, Jesus cast out an unclean spirit. This is found in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 25. And this is what it said. Then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, that's an interesting statement. Let me just pause here for a second, because in the sermon that Jesus gave, what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there's a section that it was a time in which Jesus said, you have heard what they have said. In other words, as he was talking to the, to the people uh, in, in reference to, you know, what the teachers have said. And what the religious leaders have taught, you have heard what they have said, but then he said this after that, but I say unto you. Now, there was this belief that only the Messiah would be able to uh, say he himself what the word means so, or to teach the word of God. And so traditionalism had taught by this time, and they still do to this day. They always appeal to previous authorities. Um one of my experiences years ago, and I uh, uh, went into a synagogue, into a, a heavy-duty yeshiva, one of these uh, study halls, and I went in there, and uh, 
and I just, you know, just wanted to have a conversation with some of the students there. And I uh, had my Bible and I went and I looked at, uh, opened up to Isaiah 53, you know, about the Messianic uh, Messiah. I was talking to a student there and I asked him, I said, who do you think the, the prophet, uh, you know, is referring to? Who does it sound like? And uh, he looked at me and he got off his chair and he went over to uh, to the wall where there was these massive uh uh, uh, books lined up. I mean, it was books all around the entire uh, classroom there. And he pulls out a book. He brought it over to the table. He opened it up and then he found the section. He says, oh, okay, well, according to Rabbi so-and-so, uh, he said this about that. And I said, well, okay. Oh, so, all right. But uh, well, who do you, well, okay, but I don't know who that rabbi is, but who do you say that uh, the prophet is speaking of? He looked at me again, and apparently he assumed that I didn't quite accept what that rabbi said. So he got up and went to the other side of the wall and, uh, and found another book of some sort. He came over, and he put that book on top of the book that he had brought before, and he turned the pages, and he found uh, uh, another rabbi. He said, well, this is what rabbi so-and-so of this period, medieval period or whatever, and this is what he said about that. And... You know, and I said, well, again, I, that's fine, but I'm asking you, I mean, can you tell me? And, uh, you know, and after a while, that's how it went. He kept getting off the chair and then other students started to join him because apparently he, they kind of realized there was some kind of great action going on. And before you know it, the table was full of all these books and all these students and they're all kind of, you know, uh, you know, saying this, saying that. And then I could see the head rabbis, the teachers there looking at me, you know, boy, if looks can kill. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, but I, you know, and then I realized, uh, you know, they weren't going to say until one of the students says, you know, you keep saying you want us to tell you what the prophet is saying. We don't have that authority. That was that is they were taught that um, only the Messiah would be able to say, but this is what it says. This is what it means. They had to say only the Messiah would have that authority. And so I, you know, I kept that in mind so that when I had the privilege of studying at a rabbinical school as part of my training, and now I'm with Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, and I did my studies and I realized that, hey, they did this in Jesus's day. That's why when he said, you have heard what they have said, but I say unto you. And so here, uh, when Jesus was uh, casting out the unclean spirit, uh, you know, the people were astonished at his teaching because he taught with authority, authority and not as the scribes. So there's a statement, of course, realization that he was saying that he was a Messiah. Well, anyway, that was a sidetrack. Got along, but let me move on here in verse 23. Now, there was a man in that synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out saying, let us alone. We, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. So that was uh, one of the you know miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath there. Okay. Here's uh, the second uh, aspect. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. This is found in Mark chapter 1, verse 29 uh, to 31. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue... And of course, we most likely it was the Sabbath day, okay? They entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with fever, and they told him about her at once. 
So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Uh, he, Jesus, of course, came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. And then there was this statement that follows. And she served them, which means what? She cooked. And mm. one of the categories in that 39 group that they put together, one is forbidden to cook on the Sabbath. So you can imagine that that would have created a, a stir as well. Okay. And then a third uh, incident here is found in Mark uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Jesus heals a man with a wither withered hand. And so it's, this is what the text says. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. Of course, you know, they were recognizing that somehow he's going to violate something. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So they might accuse him, see? And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, those, those who were watching him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, uh, you know, that's, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. So, you know, he, he did something uh that uh, was beneficial to the men and it was the sabbath uh and there were some other things there but uh, let's move on here to number four it says in luke chapter 13 verses 10 through 13 jesus heals a crippled woman now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the sabbath and behold there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up but when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, now notice this words here, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Oh boy. Well, if you recall one of the aspects, one of the other feature in the 39 categories of forbidden practice for the Sabbath was unkind. And so here, Jesus, what? Loosed her. Okay. She, you know, it's kind of a stretch, but hey, they were looking for something to accuse him in violating the Sabbath. Then there is this incident here uh, in which Jesus heals a man with dropsy. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely and behold there was a certain man before him who had dropsy uh, we don't really uh hear that term dropsy i don't know if you ever heard that phrase or any medical person you know using that but basically what it was it was a it was uh the body swells swollen with fluid uh, i think today it's called edema at the time and at that in those days it was uh, viewed as incurable so apparently uh, the Pharisees had set Jesus up from all account here, inviting him on the Sabbath uh, to come to their home to break bread, to eat bread. And then they had this, uh, this man with this, uh, this physical problem here. So we read in verse 3, And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, 
Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You can imagine how they're all looking at each other to see who's going to speak up. But it says they, they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Uh, that was all done in, on the Sabbath at that time there. And then uh, in John chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, it says that Jesus heals a, a lame man by the pool of Bethesda. Okay. Now, this is a real interesting account here. It says here, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Okay. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath, the scripture says, right? The Jews therefore said the Jews therefore said to him, and by the way, when John uses that term Jews, uh, you have to see that in light of the other gospel writers. Uh, John kind of used that one all-encompassing word, the Jews. Uh, whereas the other gospel writers would say, in certain of the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, you know, in other words, he was they were breaking it up and not giving the impression like all the Jews. It's unfortunate that the Gospel of John has always been accused as being the most anti-Semitic uh, book of the New Testament, mainly because of the way John uses the word the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. But it has to be understood, of course, uh, in light of the other Gospel writers. Well, anyway, again, that, that's uh, just a sidebar there. And so it was the Sabbath, and it was not lawful for you to carry your bed. So there is the violation uh, carry. That was one of the violations that one was not to do on the Sabbath. He answered them, who, the, you know, the man who just got cured, he, uh, you know, they answered him, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. So they recognized that, uh, you know, it was uh, Jesus who had done this miracle here. And then finally, uh, we have uh, uh, number seven, Jesus heals a man born blind. Okay, John chapter 9, verses 14 through 16. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay. And here's one of the so-called prohibitions, building, taking clay, planning to build something. One is not allowed to do that. It was one of the categories there. And opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight, the man whose sight came back. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man, that was Jesus, is not from God, because he does not what? Keep the Sabbath. Now, of course, he's violating their laws, okay, not God's laws. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. All right, well, this kind of gives you an idea of Jesus' uh, involvement on the Sabbath and doing good. Now, Jesus spoke of the Sabbath as a gift from God, okay, for the benefit of people, not for the benefit of oppressing them. And so here you could just see all those examples that, uh, you know, the, that Jesus had done. All right. All right. Now, let's go on to the next uh, feature here is, should Christians observe the Sabbath, okay? This is a question that uh, I'm sure... Some of you have some of you have asked in time past. Uh, well, first of all, is anything wrong about worshiping on the Sabbath? Which, of course, again, as a reminder from last week, it's Saturday. Okay, it's not Sunday; it's Saturday. Uh, is anything wrong? Uh, technically, 
Not really, but uh, let's see. First of all, you have to ask yourself this question, this question here. First of all, can it be observed as recorded in scripture if that's one's goal? If you're going to keep the Sabbath, are you going to follow it the way God had given it? Okay, and there you can see what it says. You know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then not only are you to keep it holy but and, and, no, and do no work, but also... You know, the, the 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 slaves and the families and the animals and, you know, they also, too, were to do no labor whatsoever. So you have to ask, are you going to observe it exactly as is recorded in the Torah, in the five books of Moses? Okay. Or, as you see the picture there of the three Hasidic Orthodox uh, Jewish individuals, should you observe it like the Orthodox? Are you going to study all the laws that they had made up the fence you know the over a thousand prohibitions that one observes uh, that they had uh, you know created to be observed uh you're going to observe it that way and you're going to be consistent with that and then of course you could also ask uh should you observe it with um let's call it quote unquote christian rules like the uh, seven day adventist uh, you know, remember that one of the prohibition, uh, one of the penalties in not keeping the biblical uh, Sabbath was, was uh, death. You know, there was a penalty of death. And, uh, of course, some have asked the members of the Seventh-day Adventists who keep the Sabbath, you know, Saturday, and they so insisted that it has to be worshipped. You have to come together on the Sabbath. You know, and the question have always been posed to them. It says, well, what do you do if somebody violates the Sabbath? Are you going to penalize them are you gonna you know put them to death well they basically have a response to that you say well we don't follow it the way the jews did uh at that time nor are we doing it today so basically they have restructured it you know they've made up their own rules and laws in order to keep the sabbath you know the one thing you have to remember in god's word if god said it he meant it and i don't think he ever gave the option to anybody to alter it and change it and do whatever you think is right. Uh, so should Christians uh, observe the Sabbath, uh, you know, something, uh, you know, to consider here. First of all, born-again Christians uh, are under uh, a new covenant. I think you are aware of that if you know the Lord. Therefore, we are not bound to that fourth commandment as such. But B, you know, having said that, is there anything wrong with worshiping on a Saturday? Technically, no. Uh, Sabbath keeping is a matter of the spiritual, it's a, it's a spiritual freedom and not a command from God, but it's to be followed in the way God has so uh, developed it in the new covenant. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we move on here. But uh, there is this statement in Romans chapter 14, verse five, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems it every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. And so that is the principle, but it has to be connected with uh, the new covenant, uh, you know, where what God had done through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. I guess you probably know this, but in fact, you know, every day is to be a day of worship to God, every day. For Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, therefore, let him, uh, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So, you know, it's something that we do every day and we sense that. We have a freedom in Christ. 
Second Corinthians makes that very clear in verse 3, verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And, of course, we could understand that as that liberty is freedom from the tyranny of the law. You know, there's 613 laws. Can you keep 613 laws? Did Israel was able to keep that? No. The law was not given so that people, you know, so people could follow it and then get saved or, you know, be because nobody could do it. That's why God instituted the sacrificial system and its purpose and its design. But uh, we'll mention a little bit about that here. Okay, let's go to the next feature here. Uh, why do we meet on Sunday? Okay, why do we meet on Sunday? There's a lot of reasons, but let me give you some of the key points here. First of all, uh, Jesus was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. This is what we read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through uh, verses 1 and verse 6. Now, after the Sabbath, the scripture says, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And then the angel said to them, that was, you know, when they got there, he is not here, for he is what? Risen, as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. So very early, the believers, and these were Jewish believers, the very first group here, uh, they began to gather on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, okay? Uh, because they were commemorating, really, and remembering the resurrection of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, at that time. The second thing is that the church was established on the day after the seventh Sabbath, in other words, Shavuot, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, the Hebrew festival uh, observance, had come, they were all together in one place, in one place. So they recognized that the birth of the church, okay, the, the born-again Christians, Jews, Gentiles, everybody, uh, got started, got formed uh, on the first day of the week, on, the, on, the, on Sunday. Okay. The third feature here is that Christians assembled on the first day of the week to break bread. This is what we read in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Okay, so there's more to the text, but the point here is that the Christians were assembling on, uh, assembling on the first day in order to break bread. Now, this is also probable that the apostles in the early church celebrated the breaking of bread on Sunday. And of course, we have, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the brethren churches, the brethren groups, uh, they always break bread on Sunday. Uh, and they're following this particular uh, practice of this time. Okay, and then number four, uh, there was also this interesting counsel uh, from the Apostle Paul, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Uh, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. So Paul made it very clear that uh, when I come, I don't want this uh, aspect of collecting any kind of means so that I'm not guilty, that that's my sole purpose in coming. But let it be done, you know, uh, you know, uh, on the first day of the week when you're together. And then when I come and I'll preach and I'll teach 
So uh, these are just four examples. There might be others, but church history, you know, began to recognize that uh, this was the day that uh, believers in Jesus started to come together. Uh, there's one other thought here. It was on the Lord's Day that the Apostle John, okay, while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, he received the revelation about the end times. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now, this is the only time in the Bible where this term is used, the Lord's Day. Sabbath was never referred to as the Lord's Day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Uh, nowhere in scripture is the Sabbath ever referred to as the Lord's Day. Uh, and so the church history developed. And it was uh, Sunday that was then uh, being recognized as uh, the Lord's Day at that time there. So uh, just a, a devotional thought here. In the present dispensation that we're in, the church does not make one day holier than another. But it calls for the entire life to be sanctified to God. So we are free to worship him on any day that our conscience wants to or determines that we want to gather together. As it says in on Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Messiah, Christ. And so this now kind of opens up uh, this feature here. Uh, what is the messianic understanding of rest? Okay, rest, which is one of the features of the Sabbath. First of all, after creating the heavens and the earth in the six days, God rested, which is the word for ceased, on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made, okay, Genesis 2, 2. Now, this is not a rest from exhaustion, okay? God doesn't get tired. It is a succession of the work of creation that God was involved with. So according to Jewish tradition, the, the Messiah would bring a permanent rest for his people. See, whatever God had done, they was always recognized that the Messiah would bring that for the benefit of not only for the Jewish people, but for the entire world, now, the Old Testament law, as I mentioned, 613 of them, was a constant labor, and there was no rest under that system. So God instituted the sacrificial system for forgiveness and to the restoring of fellowship of sinful man with a holy God. Now, this system was good. This is what is brought out in the book of Hebrews, right? It was a system that was good, but there was something far better, something far greater that God had uh was seeking to develop, uh, which the Old Testament was just types and shadows. But it was only a temporary provision, this uh, sacrificial system. Uh, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law possesses a shadow of the good things to come, but not the reality itself, and is therefore completely unable by the same sacrifices offered continually year after year to perfect those who come to worship. So again, the Old Testament was fine. It was good. It was, you know, God gave it. It was, it was good. But with the coming, the promise and the coming of the Messiah, something far greater and better was to be established. 
Now, those sacrifices anticipated the ultimate sacrifice of the Messiah that would come, who would take our sins upon himself, die on the cross, and then be buried, and then to rise again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But when this priest had offered one sacrifice for sin for all times, this is in reference to Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about this facet here where it says he sat down uh, in a little moment here. But let me continue here. In other words, Jesus sees from his labor when he provided the ultimate atonement or better, not really an atonement, but eternal redemption. Atonement was simply a covering that had to be maintained uh, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Uh, but it was all types and shadows for the ultimate redemption that would come because there was nothing more to be done. Uh, in terms of what Jesus had done. For the believer, we now have God's rest and assurance. Now, here's something I want you to consider. Shabbat, the word Shabbat, okay, the, the kind of the uh, Hebraic form of saying the Sabbath, literally means to, to seed, you know, to, to, to seed uh, from labor and work. But it also has this other word called shiv, S-H-E-V, which means to sit, to sit. Now, you might recall that the priests during the tabernacle and temple times, uh, they never sat down. You ever read in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, uh, you know, and the temple and their activities, you know, they had to move. You never read that uh, with all the furnishings that God commanded that was to be incorporated in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, uh, no chairs, no couches, no benches was ever mentioned. They never sat down. There was It was constantly movement, given the, the idea that there was no rest for the work that they were doing. It was constant labor, constant work. They never sat down. So this was a picture of no rest under the old system. But then consider this statement about Jesus' redemption that's found in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Who, Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, okay, purged our sin, and then it says, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. No, there's no more work to be done. No more work. It was done. It was complete. The Sabbath embodies the gospel. God's Sabbath's rest is Jesus the Messiah. Isn't that wonderful? Let me just consider that. So that's the Sabbath. So that's what I wanted to kind of share with us uh, as a continuation of what I had shared last week here. And so let's close with this thought. And then if you have some questions, uh, uh, Nathan will receive it. And then uh, I'll do my best to entertain uh, the questions that you may ask here. But anyway, Shabbat Shalom. Shalu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Psalm 122, verse 6. And knowing and seeing what is happening in Israel today, uh, do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But we recognize that no true peace will ever come to that region or to the whole world until the Prince of Peace returns, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to our FOI Equip podcast. Again, I want to remind you to go to foiequip.org and sign up to be on our mailing list. We'd love to see you at one of our free live online FOI Equip classes. 
Also, be sure to listen to our other podcasts like the Jew and Gentile podcast hosted by yours truly and Steve Herzig. Also, the Gesher podcast hosted by Ty Perry. You can find out more ways to get involved with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry by visiting foiequip.org. FOI Equip is an outreach of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.